relief. Oh, oh my. Oh, oh, oh. excuse me. Sorry. So, so, sorry. I didn't know exactly where I was to meet you. <laughs> I got to get my bearings here just a minute. I'll be all right. Uh, sorry, my, my, my name's Herod, Herod, and uh, I was supposed to come here today to talk to you. Um, sorry, I just, I have an assignment. I, I, I have to come and tell you about the Christmas that, the Christmas that I remember. I hate that word, Christmas. I'm getting way ahead of myself. Oh, my. I'm Herod. Where do I start? Well, let me think. I'll start in the beginning. I was born in southern Israel. That's where I was. And I grew up in a strange and very tumultuous time. My, my, my dad, he was, he, he was politically astute. <laughs> I got some of that myself. And he made friends with Rome. Good friends. And our family benefited from that. And in fact, I benefited from that. I was known as Herod the Great at one time. That's right. The Great. There's a lot of Herods. You read about some of them in your Bible. But I was Herod the Great. Great. Not anymore. No, no. Now I'm simply known as Herod. Herod from hell. That's all I am. Well, but my home, my prison, my fiery prison for over 2,000 years. But today, my assignment was to tell you about the Christmas I remember. I said it a while ago, I hate talking about Christmas. I, I really do. I, I just don't like it. In fact, I don't like to think about it. I, I sure don't talk about it. And you say, well, if you hate Christmas so much, then why did you come? Why are you doing this? Well... Believe me, if you were where I were a few minutes ago, you'd come for any reason, too. I'd do anything to get out of that place, even if it's just for a few moments. <laughs> I understand people in your day talk about rough times on earth, and they call it hell on earth. Let me tell you, it's not. It's not. If you could just get a glimpse of hell, you'd never say that again. I don't care how bad it is. Well, I'm getting ahead of myself completely. I want you to, to understand about the Christmas I remember. I want to tell you about it, and I want to tell you about how that, that political prowess of my dad, or prowess of my dad, and the passed on to me, we use that for our own advantage. In, in fact, I became friends with Mark Antony. You've heard of him, right? Him and Cleopatra. 
And Mark Anthony, he was my friend, and, and because he was my friend, as he was rising in power, so I rose in power, and eventually he appointed me as, as governor of Judea. That was in 37 B.C. <laughs> they told me I had to say that. I hate B.C. I understand you Christians came up with changing the calendar idea, everything before Christ or in the year of our Lord. But I could care less about that stuff. Maybe I should care. Anyway, in 37 B.C., I became governor. Well, Mark Anthony and I, we were friends, but, but things began to get rough for him, and I could see the way the political winds were going. And I knew I was, I was going to lose out if I stood with him, and yet I had to stand with my friend, and so I began to quietly maneuver. And when everything fell apart for Mark Anthony, the Senate of Rome appointed me not governor, but king, king of the Jews in Judea. <laughs> Well, my, my, my dad was an Edomite. My, my dad, as, a, as an Edomite, uh, he was hated by the Jews. But he and my mother also had some Hebrew blood, and, and so the Jews just kind of called me a half-breed. Uh, but I was king of the Jews. Many always said it was illegitimate because of my heritage. I wasn't... In the line of David, I shouldn't be king. They called me a half-breed. They hated me. But that didn't matter because I had Rome behind me. And they had even given me my own army. They couldn't do anything about it. I was all set. And then, then Augustus, Augustus liked me. We were friends. Well... At least in the beginning. <laughs> and everything was going well. We had our uprisings and we had our problems, but, but I was able to keep things down and I became known as the great builder. You would think those Jews would have loved me for what I did to the temple. I mean, that measly thing that Zerubbabel put together, it was nothing compared to the glory that they talk about with Solomon's temple. So I came along and expanded it and made it look so good. And I built palaces and, and waterways and everything all over. They should have loved me, but they didn't. I was feared by everyone, respected by only a few, <laughs> hated by so many, loved by no one on earth. But I had everything under control. Now those priests, especially the high priest, by the way, they were always playing political games with that. But I had those high priests. I had to keep a close eye on them. I had to watch them because I knew that they were, they were hypocritical religious backstabbers. That's what they were. But I kept them under control because of my army and because of Augustus. And, and I, would, I would remember my Jewish heritage when it was helpful. 
And when it wasn't, I would just use the sword to put them down. And they hated me. My own family hated me. I had ten wives. And I had many children. Uh, my first wife, she gave me all kinds of trouble. I divorced her and banished her. Sent her out of the country. By my favorite wife, she was so wonderful to me until she wasn't. And her and her children, I'm sure they were plotting to kill me so she could choose which one of her kids would take my place. Well, I was so certain of it, I just had them all killed. That's right, they were all killed, wiped out. I gave the order and it was done. And you know what? Everybody feared me then. Because they're like, hey, if he will kill his favorite wife and her children, he'll kill anybody. We better not mess with Herod. I had the power in my hand. I, yes, I had to answer to Augustus. And most of the time, we were in good shape. <laughs> Sometimes we'd get a little... Tiff going. Uh, after I killed my wife and all those kids, he began to make stupid comments. You know how it goes. Uh, one time he, he said, all the way in Rome, he made this statement and it went throughout the entire empire. Everybody knew it. Augustus said, I'd rather be Herod's pig than his child. In other words, he thought, that I was better to the pigs than I was to my own family. Well, we had tensions from then on, but we helped each other. He needed me, and I needed him. So we muddled through, and we pretty much had everything under control till that, till that fateful day. Christmas, Christmas, oh, Christmas. All Jerusalem was in an uproar. All Jerusalem was excited. and People were talking everywhere. And a big entourage of, of these prominent leaders had ascended upon our city, my city, from the east. Uh, it was men who... Uh, you guys, I understand, call them kings. You sing about three kings. <laughs> I even heard a, <laughs> an offtake of that that said, we three kings of Orient are trying to smoke a rubber cigar. <laughs> well, that's about as good as anything. They weren't kings, and there were a whole lot more than three of them. You'd think three people could cause an uproar in a city as big as Jerusalem? No way. They came in with their big entourage. You call them wise men. That's more accurate. That's more accurate to what they were. You see, it really goes all the way back to the Babylonian Empire when Nebuchadnezzar had, had these special people who were supposed to be spiritual and political uh, advisors who had great wisdom. And 
with all of their great wisdom, they would give counsel to the king. And then, and then when the Medo-Persian Empire, when the Medes and the Persians got together and they overthrew Babylon, they continued the practice. And while they're not really much anymore, over there in what you call Iraq and Iran, uh, they still in my day elevated these wise men. Uh, some of them were into all kinds of magic and reading the stars and astrology, and some of them said that they were passing on the wisdom of Daniel, who had been among the early wise men. Well, they all came to town, and they had the whole town in a disarray. And you say, why, why? Well, how could they do that? What was the deal? Well, they came to town and they were telling everybody. They were telling them, listen, the prophecies of Daniel indicate that now is the time the real king of the Jews. Did you hear that? The real king of the Jews is supposed to arrive. Not only that, but we saw a star that indicated the birth of the king, the Jewish Messiah. And so we packed up and we got all that we would need for the journey and we, we came to Jerusalem and we want to see the newborn king. We want to worship the king that was prophesied of old. But nobody in Jerusalem knew where he was. Oh, there were groups. There were some of the scribes and some of the Sadducees even, and, and the Pharisees for sure. And of course, don't even get me started on the zealots. They were Pharisees on caffeine. Oh my. They were talking about it. The time is right. And all these people did was feed that story. What do they mean, a new king of the Jews? I'm king of the Jews. I'm Herod the Great. Or I was. I was. Now I'm just Herod from hell. No. My assignment. They finally got the idea that should have been their first thought. <laughs> If a king's born, he ought to be born in the palace. They should have come to see me from the beginning. But they finally did, and they came, and at first I was just going to mock them and send them home. And then I realized, oh, remember how your wife, Herod, who conspired with her children to kill you, overthrow you, Oh, and Herod, do you remember later when your oldest son, who had avoided all of that, he began to conspire, or at least you're pretty sure he did, and you had to remove him off with his head. If a, these people believe that a king, the true king, with the lineage in the line of David, was born, I must move quickly. I must act. But how would I do it? 
I'll trick them. And so I extended Hebrew hospitality. I said, come on in. Oh, you must be tired from your journey. Refresh yourselves and have the best of my palace. Oh, while they were refreshing themselves, I was planning what I would do. When they were finished, I brought them back into my throne room and I said, well, you are correct. You see, while they were refreshing, I brought the high priest and told him to bring his best, best scribes. And I said, when and where is the king of the Jews to be born? Well, I said, well, they're right. According to the prophecies of Daniel, now is the time. And by the way, don't forget, King, he's predicted the rise and fall of empires. Surely this one is true. Well, where? Well, he's to be born in Bethlehem, according to the prophet Micah. Bethlehem? Why Bethlehem? Why not Jerusalem? Why not my palace? Well, what do you mean, Bethlehem, six, six miles south? Ah, oh, but then I remembered. That's where King David was born. Uh, certainly, if they were plotting my destruction, they would pretend he was born where David was. And so I ushered the high priests and the scribes out one door as the wise men were coming in another. And I said, yes, you are correct. It is time. All of our prophets have, have called that now is the time. The king of the Jews has been born. He was born over in Bethlehem. I've been meaning to get over and see him. Uh, but I, you, don't, you don't understand the pressure that it's, I'm under. I've got so much on my plate. I mean, with, with Rome on my back and with the nasty high priest and his crowd backstabbing political maneuvering hypocrites you just don't understand I've had so much go I haven't been able to get over there in fact he moved to a different house his family just him and his mom and his dad and they moved to a different house and I'm not sure exactly where that is but I am getting older, been kind of sick lately, not feeling so well. I had a plan, you understand, men, that I was going to let his parents raise him in, in the birthplace of David, our greatest king. And then when he was older, bring him to the palace and, and teach him all the protocol he needs to know. And then step down and honor him as my king as he took my throne. But I'm not feeling well. and I mean, he is so young. By, by the way, when was it that you saw the star? Oh, about two years. Yeah, that's right. He's two years old or maybe a little under that. He's not quite two yet, but, but that's right. 
I'm just afraid that by the time he's nine or ten and I would bring him here to teach him the protocol, I might be dead. So I can't wait. I tell you what, you go with my blessing. You worship the king and you give him gifts and, and tell his parents, I can't remember their name at the moment, tell his parents that I am so proud of them all. And I want to come and bring my own gifts and worship. I would go with you today, but I just have so many pressures and so much on my plate. You understand. You just go on with my blessing. And, and after you've worshipped a few days, you, you come back and, and give me that address. It's somewhere over there in that little Bethlehem. I mean, I could go door to door, but that wouldn't be fitting for a king. You figure it out and, and bring me back word and then, and then as quick as I can, I'll get over there and I'll worship him too. And so with my blessing, they departed in joy. And as they departed rejoicing, I too was rejoicing, <laughs> but for a different reason. My political wisdom came through once again. They had no clue that when they came back, I'd send them on their way, and they would go home telling everybody in Iraq and everybody in Iran what a gracious king I am and how that I am going to voluntarily give up my throne when the new child is ready. And as soon as they are a day's journey, I'll send my most trusted soldiers to that house and we'll kill him and we'll kill his parents and this fiasco will be over I waited I waited I knew they, yeah, they're wise men they think they are they would have to give all the wisdom to his family they could give I knew it would be a few days, and a few days it was, so I anxiously waited patiently, and then my patience was getting thin. One day, as I was walking in my throne room, thinking about where are they, I looked at, at my son, the one I, I hoped would one day follow me, and, and I looked at my greatest bodyguard, my, the most trusted friend I had, didn't have many friends, but he was trusted. And I said, they've mocked me. They've lied to me. They never intended to come back. What am I going to do? i got to do something. i got to act quickly. Wait, wait, son. How long did they say they saw that star? About, about two years, you say. Huh. That's it. I have a plan. I look to Brutus. And I said, Brutus, I want you to go gather our strongest soldiers who have a stomach for blood. And I want you to go to Bethlehem and kill every male child two years or younger. What? Yes, that's what I said. Don't question me. Just do what I said. And I sent them off. Well, that's hard to stomach. 
even for a tough soldier. But they knew better than to defy me, and they did it. They went to Bethlehem, and they killed them all. Huh. Those wise men, if they weren't gone, I'd kill them too. Mocking me like that. But at least, at least, I got my greatest enemy, I thought. Uh, I had my spies out. And a few days later, Brutus came to see me. He looked at me and he said, King Herod, please forgive me. I have bad news. He knew I didn't like bad news. I said, what? And he said, the baby king got away. And I said, what? And he said, king, the story in the street of Bethlehem is... The wise men came. They made a bigger stir in Bethlehem, as you would imagine, being a small village, than they did here in Jerusalem. They worshipped the king. They spent the night. And during the night, one of them claimed that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob came to him in a dream and told him to go home a different way. God told him your plot. And King, you know, no one would have known it. But me and you, your son and God. And so they went another way. The problem, King, is that same night, God also appeared to the child's dad. And they told him to flee. And we have learned that they all got out of the country safely. And we don't know where they've gone. What? I was furious. I was furious. I had all of those babies killed. Everyone was weeping and mourning. Not only in Bethlehem, but throughout all Judea. And I heard it even got up to way up there in the Galilee. All of Israel mourned. Now they were more angry at me than ever. And now I know this king of the Jews got away. Oh my, what will I do, Brutus? He will come back when he grows. The people will be ready for sure to overthrow me. They'll unite behind him. And I'll be killed, Brutus. I'll be killed. Oh, all I've done to protect my empire. And it's all wasted. Wasted. Oh. oh. I begin to get more and more ill. Uh, all of my ailments were catching up with me. But my worst illness was not in my body. It was in my head. It was in my head. 
just knew everybody was plotting to kill me after what I'd done. I publicly stood tall, but my public appearances were fewer and fewer. Augustus was sick of me. And after word got to him about what happened in Bethlehem, I knew, I knew it was only a matter of time before he sent soldiers in to dethrone me, take over, and put somebody else, some other puppet king. Yeah, I didn't admit it to anyone else, but I knew that's all I was. Every time I saw a shadow, I was sure somebody was hiding, conspiring. I was getting sicker, sicker, sick of mind, sick of body. And I finally decided I would just end my own life. I took a sword and I prepared, but I didn't have the courage. I didn't have the courage. No, there was nothing great. Nothing great left. My sicknesses got worse. One day I was laying in my bed and I could feel that my death was imminent. All of a sudden, my entire horrible, wicked life flashed before my eyes. And a nanosecond later, I woke up. I woke up in pain and thirst and torture and hell. And I knew I deserved it. That is the Christmas that I remember. No, no, no. My time is almost done. I'm going to have to go back to my fiery prison. Oh, may I? May I first give a warning? First, a warning to all of you. If you're living for power, possessions, and popularity, it'll all fade. And as long as you live, it's not near as long as eternity. I've been in my fiery prison for over 2,000 years and there is no sign of relief. Jesus said, the fire is never quenched and the worm never dies. I plead with you today, turn from your sin and trust the Christ child, 
the one who did live, who was tempted, who died in your place, in my place. Oh, I should have listened to the wise men. Jesus could have. He would have saved me. I plead with you. Don't wait. Oh, I've got to go. Just, just one more. Just one more warning to you. To you who have trusted the King of the Jews, the Messiah. Oh, do all you can, all you can for the souls of men and women and boys and girls. It's a horrible place. You lived next door to me for years. We shared our dreams, our joys, and our tears. A friend to me you were indeed. A friend who helped me when in need. Oh, what sadness then, my friend, to find that after all you weren't so kind because all those years we spent on earth you never talked of second birth. You never spoke of my lost soul or of the Christ who could make me whole. I plead to you today from hell's cruel fire. And I tell you now, my last desire, oh, do not err, my friend, again. Do all you can, all you can for souls of men. Oh! Oh! Oh!